Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Pod. What's up? Simon and I are going to talk about some of the pullbacks we've seen in particularly tech stocks, but some exciting opportunities because a lot of these companies are reporting excellent results, but maybe not as high as some crazy expectations of them. And so I look at that as an incredible opportunity, and I know Simon does as well. How are you doing, Simon? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Second recording of the day. Uh, you guys you can't tell them our secrets. <laughs> I mean, it's exceptional, right? Yeah, so no, it's kidding. all good. Uh, so if we just have to make sure you guys will probably hear that on uh, March 8th, if I'm looking at the dates correctly. So just keep in mind, it's being recorded on February 25th. So if the drops we're talking about don't make sense, go back to February 25th. Uh, and then I'm going to talk about Unity. I did a deep dive for stratosphere subscribers i do a couple a month and uh, send them out i recently started sending them out right into your inbox if you're a subscriber but uh i'm going to talk about unity as well because this is a perfect example of what we're talking about today which is very exciting companies many of them in the software space software multiples have gotten frothy uh to say the least but I'm not saying this is early 2000 or some bubble. Some some would say that it might be a bubble in tech valuations. I think that's garbage because where else are you going to put your money? You know, even as interest rates are being signaled to rise and rising and bond yields are going up, I don't want a 1.5% yield on my bonds. Like, no. So where is money going? It's going into stocks. It's going to happen. A lot of these asset prices are going up, of course. So there's some frothy valuations out there, but these are good companies. More often than not, they are very good quality companies, some exceptions to the rule, but great companies growing very quickly, building a moat. But the risk is how expensive they are. They could do nothing for so long as they try to grow into these ex- insane prices uh, and potentially have extreme volatility and, and massive drawdowns if they come back to you know lower multiples, if they have that multiple compression compared to what we talked about last episode, which is multiple expansion. So, Simon, do you want to kick us off here? We're going to be just very casually talking about some names that we might have on a watch list or we might have small positions in that as these come down and as a lot of these NASDAQ names sell off, we are very excited to add to them. And, uh, you know, this is, this is what excites us. You know, when we see a sea of red and volatility in the markets, that just brings you know joy to me and Simon's uh, face. So I'll let you kick that off. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So there's def like I have 
tons of growth stock on my watch list. Um, obviously, with the run-up we had this year, um, there's some really kind of good companies in there, but a lot of them I just don't feel comfortable just yet. But, you know, if this uh, this pullback continues for growth stocks, I'm probably going to pull the trigger on a, on a few names. And these are some of the companies that uh, I'm watching and also Braden. So the first one, uh, I know I've talked about this on the last episode, uh, Teldoc. I mean, their earnings release got uh, earnings got released yesterday, and uh, you know what? They had a really solid year. Um, it was to be expected with the pandemic. Obviously, it was a huge tailwind. So, of course, today it's dropped thirteen <laughs> percent. Of course. I mean. Exactly. That's logical. I mean, you double your revenues, you're projecting doubling your revenue next year. So, I mean, 13% makes sense. I'm I'm obviously being a little bit facetious here, but this is really a valuation thing. Uh, and it's really important to keep in mind when you invest in growth stocks. I mean, we saw that with Shopify a few weeks ago. Um, you know, they can have a really amazing year and really great projections going forward it doesn't matter if the valuation is really up there um you know the results almost don't matter if they're not like blowing them up out of the water like 3x or whatever it is um there's probably going to be a pullback so keep that in mind uh but yeah if some of you were looking to start uh a position teledoc i mean you know, I wouldn't say necessarily do it right now, but keep it on your watch list. And if it keeps pulling back, um, it could definitely be a stock that you're interested in. Um, so the next one, did you want to do one? And then we can kind of go back and forth. Um, I'm just going to go a little off the rails here. Etsy just reported as we're talking and you own this stock. This could be in the list here. Dude, <laughs> they just smashed every estimate oh. and revenue doubled so good for you simon you own this stock yeah. <laughs> holy crap wow. and surprise it's up it's up uh, yeah <laughs> well pulse. it closed like down five percent and it's up ten percent after hours now after they reported uh yeah, that's good. yeah revenue happy shareholder revenue more than doubled uh wow okay well <laughs> that's a that's a moat building company right now, and I should probably own some shares of that business. It's very, very cool, very well executed, and it shows that there's lots of players in e-commerce that you can uh, that have interesting niches that you don't have to just be scared of Amazon about. So that's a good example. But that wasn't the one I was going to pick. Um, I am picking Mercado Libre ticker M E L I. This is a business I need to do more work on, but has really, really interesting upside. It's like a mix of Shopify and Amazon, like kind of having both of those. Like it's a, it's a big marketplace seller like Amazon, but also allows uh, small businesses to go online like a Shopify, build their site, build out some of that logistics. I am no expert in the name, but they are dominant in Latin America. And I would probably add uh, PayPal and, and payments. And well. sorry, <laughs> yes, and payments. It's like it's like C Limited and uh, uh, yeah, like C Limited. How out in Asia? It's like a bunch of these different interesting tech verticals, like payments, gaming, e-commerce, kind of all rolled up into one. So that's what Mercado, Mercado Libre is like in South America and Central America or just Latin America in general. 
And this is a very interesting business growing like crazy. And it's interesting. And I think it's like what analysts talk about are some of the biggest risks is it reports in like, I guess, Argentinian dollars. Is that right, Simon? I don't, I don't know if you're an expert in the name at all. Yeah. But. No, I'm not sure. I know it doesn't report in U.S. dollars yeah. or they have to make adjustments if they do. But uh, I know at least at the very least, like the vast majority of the revenue is in non-U.S. Uh, denominated, obviously. So yeah. it does it does affect a bit the, the currency changes has an impact on them for sure. Yeah, there's all this like weird currency things happening because like they make money in like brazil colombia and and argentina which are on different currencies and there's been you know argentina has not had a great performing macro ecosystem for a long time so i guess what people are worried about is when you convert that back into like usd you're like oh what the hell is happening here so as for the business you know i don't care about all that accounting stuff as for the business it is really growing fast and becoming huge in South America and, and Central America. And I think the upside is absolutely bonkers for something like this. But again, it's an expensive tech stock. And a lot of this stuff is – that's the risk you're taking, right, is when you pay really high prices for businesses – there's a chance that it just doesn't work out even if the business does great. So I think you tweeted that today on Twitter, Simon. You're like, just understand that every business has, every investment has risk even if the business does well. And I think that's yeah, important. Yeah, exactly. That's like what this episode is about, right? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. that's what does that No, that's about. it. And so that's Mercado Libre. Again, I need to do more work on it. Maybe when I do, I'll talk more about it. Yeah, so my uh, other one, so it kind of goes back to what you talked about last episode. So the lessons from 100 Baggers. So you got uh, CRM, so Salesforce with uh, Mark Benioff. Um, just a really solid business, uh, solid management. I have to dig a bit more into it, but everything I've read on them seems to be really good. They grew 20%. Um, last year in 2020, they're projecting another 20% uh, going forward, and I can only... I can only imagine they'll continue benefiting years down the line of that new uh, kind of work from home, working remotely, maybe, you know, the new way of working. And uh, they also bought uh, Slack earlier this year, right? So it'll be interesting how they integrate that. And I think that's been actually weighing a little bit on the valuation compared to uh, other kind of type of companies that are growing really fast. But Salesforce, uh, Salesforce is definitely a company I have my eye on. And if uh, it goes down a little more, I probably will start a, a small position. And obviously, I have to do a bit more research. But uh, so far so good yeah crm is a cool business i just wonder i just worry that it becomes the incumbent too fast you know what i mean yeah yeah i mean we'll see i mean it's still uh still really really interesting i mean i think they're really lining up to, to i feel like that industry is kind of going to a two-headed monster with microsoft and, and uh, salesforce yeah yeah it's true uh, Slack was Slack. The stock was undervalued. It had a bad narrative of just being like, "Oh, Microsoft Teams is gonna just destroy this." But all the tech companies were on Slack, and 
Slack saw, you know, expansion from customers who are already paying, paying more and that there was good growth in the business still. So I guess Benioff recognized that and he says, okay, well, we're just going to buy it off the public market. So he's, he's a smart, he's a really smart guy. There's just no question yeah. about it. He's a really smart guy. Um, okay. I am going to talk about Spotify. Maybe you're listening to this podcast on Spotify. Spotify's taken a beating lately, like multiple 10% drops uh, I'm getting from my brokerage. Seems like every day the stock's just falling off a cliff more and more. Again, let's not kid ourselves. It's been an incredible performer. So a lot of these companies are like, oh, it's, they've been a dog lately. It's like, yeah, they've been a dog for two days. Um, this stock's done really well. And another founder-led tech company, right? This is These are things that are important. And the reason why a lot of people buy Facebook stock is they look at Facebook and they go, Zuckerberg's only 36. Come on. Like, think of all the things he can still do. Um Spotify is a great business. It's Netflix for your ears and the upside in podcasting, the margins are great. The monthly subscribers of both premium and free users is great. That model is perfect for converting those uh, free users into paid users. So it has that good funnel Um, and they can monetize the free users as well with ads. But the upside for Spotify is obviously so massive, um, and they can they can do all kinds of interesting things, like like Netflix did in terms of you know their own content, their own labels, their own podcasts, their own very very specialized AI driven advertising. Again, this is a company that is great firing on all cylinders. Sure, if it misses guidance a little bit and they said, oh, they were going to throw on 36% more users and they only did 34% and Wall Street overreacts, I am happy to take their shares. I own a small piece of Spotify and, uh, you know, I like the price here. So that's a that's another perfect example. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the businesses I got wrong at Spotify. I really, I had really hard time seeing how they could like uh with the content that they're paying to artists and the royalties that they're paying how they could really become a force with always that kind of price pressure but i think they're starting to prove me wrong so it's definitely a company i have on my watch list yeah i mean well netflix proved me wrong so this is my this is my chance. This is my I mean it's the netflix of audio basically. It is. Yeah, yeah it fully That's is. What it is. And and they have so the, the thing that I was just wrong about was pricing power. I thought that, you know, if Netflix goes from 13 to $15, that they're going to have all this churn. No chance. The, all, the, all the industry did was prove that, is that, oh, they can afford to pay Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Hulu Plus, and Netflix. Like, come on. I was just so dead wrong. Like, you cut the cable from 80 bucks a month to these four streaming services are 40 bucks a month and it's good value. So Netflix has way more pricing power than I gave them credit for. And I think it's important to recognize some of the things that you mispriced and are looking forward to not making mistakes again. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So 
Now on to my next one, so Adobe. So we've talked about Adobe in the, in the early stages of the podcast, but it's really they really have sticky products. I'm sure people are familiar with Photoshop, Adobe Acrobat. Um, they also have a, a good market share when it comes to digital signatures along with DocuSign, which is a competitor. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of things to like about Adobe. It's been a really well-managed business. They've really transitioned well to a kind of SaaS uh, business from a more legacy business and the they must have started I'd have to check but they must have started in the late 1990s because I remember I was a teenager and their products was still there they were the top back then uh, especially Photoshop but um, yeah that's a great company that's one I have on my radar and if uh, the valuations can come a little more reasonable it's probably one that uh, that I'll start a position in yeah very well run tech giant and I like companies like Adobe that are, I've been writing about this a lot, you know, the creator economy is real and the companies that are powering the creator economy are really thriving. Like, think about it. I mean, I, I, this is one of the reasons why I like Twitter and think it's worth more than $40 billion is companies that are powering the creator economy are doing really well. And Adobe's creative cloud is very important for a lot of these businesses uh, to have subscriptions of that. You know, whether you're a solopreneur who needs to make marketing material on Adobe or you're a full scale professional or you're a freelancer and you do graphic design, you know, Adobe is an important business on that. Have you seen the growth of like Substack lately? Do you know, no, do you know Substack? No, I'm not familiar with that either. Substack is it's big in like the finance community of people who have newsletters and stuff and they have like paid newsletters. And this creator economy is exploding. Um the rise of like the solo creator being able to make, you know, serious bucks from living anywhere. And Adobe's one of those ones that that powered the creator economy. So I'm bullish on that. Think about like Etsy. That's the creator economy. That is the market, the two-sided marketplace for creators. Look how, yeah, look how it, well they it do. reminds me. It reminds me a lot of Autodesk too, how sticky yeah. they are and kind of the transition uh, that they did. Although I feel like Adobe did a bit sooner than Autodesk, so that that's probably why there's going to be more value in Autodesk going forward. That's true. Autodesk didn't do their SaaS transition until 2016. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. Anyways, on on to the next one because we still uh, we don't want to go too yeah. long, and you still have to do your Unity uh, deep dive. So, do you want me to do my next one? Yeah, do, do your next one because I'm gonna be okay. blabbing on about Unity. Okay, so let's do uh, this last one, and then that's uh, all yours. So um, the last one I would be looking at, and I get a lot of questions. People know I own Brookfield Renewable Partners, so um, and the renewable space has really kind of taken off uh, last year specifically. Um, I always found it before that. I was a bit undervalued, and I really didn't understand why people uh, weren't looking at it more. Uh, but, I mean, Recently, in the past month, month and a half, there's actually been a pretty broad-based pullback for renewables. So whether you're looking at uh, Brookfield Renewable Partners or other names, I know there's uh, Atlantica Yield. There's uh, uh, which one did you mention again? I'm kind of before the podcast. Oh, in terms of renewables, okay, what a, oh, I, yeah, I forget. It's okay. Man. Yeah, 
It's all good. And then another one that's interesting and uh, I need to dig into more, but it's one of the largest, if not the largest renewable energy producer in the U.S. is Next Era Energy. Um, so those are all names that uh, would be interesting, especially if you're looking to uh, to get a position and get skin in the game when it comes to renewable. I mean, Brookfield Renewable Partner is actually almost yielding close to 3% right now. And uh, I think we haven't seen that since kind of mid uh, twenty. 2021 uh, mid 2020 so um you know it might be something to worth considering i know a lot of people are, are looking to that space so um now might be a good time to just start a position if you had an eye on some of those names i remember it is algonquin power ah uh, there you go yeah a lot like, of these I knew you talked about <laughs> a lot of these wind producers got you know sell-offs because of the texas thing yeah, I mean that's that's ridiculous, but anyways, I, I let's not uh, waste time on. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's okay. The Texas is completely different, and uh, just for the record, most of the energy produced in Texas is actually from fossil fuels. So I find it funny that they're blaming that on renewable powers when it's really the fact that they have a grid that's not connected to other states, and they. Anyways, I won't go into detail, but um, look, I mean, I think. There, I know, I know power grids pretty. I know power grids pretty well. There is some merit to the complaints about wind. I'll say that there's some merit. Really? Okay. But yeah. at the end of the day, their grid was not uh, proofed enough for that kind of extreme condition, and that is yeah. something they need to fix. Um, okay, so Unity ticker U IPO'd last year it was still relatively new to public markets it had quite a run after its ipo and it's come back quite a bit this is a perfect example of a business that is doing absolutely great maybe management said okay we're not going to grow this fast forever and everyone's like oh no you're not going to grow it 50 percent a year for 100 years dang and of course not only is that never going to happen for any company, but this company is firing on all cylinders and it's not new at all. You know, they just IPO'd recently, but this is a company that has been making software for their gaming engine since 2005. They have a huge market share. Uh, so this is not a new business. So for as for what they do, they have a gaming engine for real-time 2D and 3D content for all kinds of different devices. Started in the gaming industry, but there are many applications beyond gaming, which I find exciting. And as an engineer, I'm seeing it happen now. I'm seeing it with my own eyes. And it is really, really cool. Okay, so let's go back. 2005, Unity launched the gaming engine on Apple's Mac operating system X. Now, this was a weird choice because Unity was written in C-sharp, which was a Microsoft pro pro programming language uh, from 2000. So C-sharp is powerful, good language, and it, that's still what Unity runs on. But it was strange that it was only on the Mac. So eventually it goes on and becomes on all, all different platforms and has the app for not only just Mac. But Unity was set up for something to hit the big time for one reason, is that the App Store, which launched in 2008, the Apple App Store, 
Unity was in a perfect position to take almost all the market share for game development and app development in the iOS ecosystem. And that was really important uh, and a change step for Unity's history and their trajectory moving forward. So now they have a huge market share on the iOS ecosystem um, and they compete in pretty much a duopoly in terms of game engine with Epic's Unreal Engine, which is owned by Tencent. Tencent owns 40% of Epic Games and Epic Games owns the Unreal Engine. So both engines are very powerful. They both have their pros and cons. Unreal's engine has unmatched graphics. That's one advantage it has over Unity. But Unity has all kinds of other advantages to it that I will get into. But I just want to clear that up right away. In terms of competition, the Unreal engine is also really, really solid. So what do I do? I own Tencent as well. Uh, pretty, pretty simple solution. They're both great businesses. Okay, so now here's what's really exciting to me is that the gaming engine exp- expands beyond gaming. And the total adjustable market of gaming is already huge. But if you throw out that total adjustable market to all kinds of industries like architecture, engineering, automotive, manufacturing, film animation, uh, the gambling business, branding agencies, creative agencies, like the total adjustable market, and I'm seeing it, I'm telling you, Simon, I'm seeing it. The gaming engine is really cool to use in other uh, other industries because it's just you heard it here first. You heard it here first, <laughs> man. It, I've played with the tech. I've seen it. It is cool, very cool. Okay, so the reason I titled the post on Stratosphere is, was zero to sixty. It was a, a play on engine, but really, what it is is users, creators from just the the small little creator economy to full-on game development studios, they can build, deploy, and monetize their game on Unity, all with Unity, through their create solutions, which is, you know, their multiple subscriptions to the gaming engine platform, but also the operate solutions. So you can advertise you can deploy it to the cloud. You can connect multiplayer. You can have build servers. You can connect voice for players. You can uh, create backends for multiplayers that you know some shows some players are the leaders. And you can create a very very cool game. And you can deploy it all on Unity. Now, what that does is that Operate Solutions is now a SaaS recurring revenue, high margin. And it's about 61% of revenue is the actual operate solution. So that's that deployment and letting people monetize their game or app. Very cool. Uh, What's also interesting about their financials is that 144% dollar-based net expansion. What that means is that customers every year are spending a lot more money than they did the year before. And that's, that's really important. They have... 793 customers that spend over $100,000 a year, and that's grown uh, from 506 last year. So they're growing that big game development studio clientele, and that's really important for their financials and ultimately how they're going to cash flow the business. Um, So looking ahead, I mean, the post goes into all different kinds of things, but looking ahead, 
the gaming engine is not only going to be a great place to be in the future because of how much gaming is growing, but because of the applications of the gaming engine in other verticals. Uh, I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan, if you've watched The Mandalorian on the Disney Plus thing. Have you seen? Have you watched it? I might have asked you before. Oh, yeah, of course I've watched that. You yeah, watched I'm a, it? I'm a nerd that way. Okay. You know... <laughs> Baby Yoda. You know... I, if you don't know this, I'm about to blow your mind. All of The Mandalorian was done on the Unreal Engine. Did you know that? Uh, I think I heard it before. Like, I knew it was done on one of the big engines. I wasn't sure if it was the, uh, the Unreal Engine or the uh, the Unity, but I, I remember hearing that, yeah. So I'm talking about this post as the Unity Engine, but that was done on the Unreal Engine. Like, what I'm saying is that both of them have all kinds of interesting ways to be used uh, beyond just gaming. And even if they just continue to dominate gaming, the, gr- the growth is, is incredible. But that's the really exciting upside is that all these other industries, they can disrupt. Like you, if you're a civil engineering firm, you can actually connect your Autodesk uh, and BIM to, which is like building information management. We don't need to get into that, but you can connect that right into Unity and like deploy full on gaming engine scale of the the buildings that you're building. And for real estate developers, you can show that to clients and they can play around with it. It's like touch screens. It can be deployed on web base so they can see, like they can basically see the building be built in the actual location of where it's going to be built before. They put a shovel in the ground. So this is like kind of the next level of modeling. And the game engine allows people to do that next level of modeling and be able to interact with it. So I find it really exciting. Is the business trading at a super cheap multiple? No. God, no. These things are expensive, right? But I think that if what I'm seeing currently right now in the other areas beyond gaming i think today that the unreal engine and unity both provide one of the largest total adjustable markets i can think of in the market right now so i i like i like it here i i bought some and um that's unity did i miss anything you can grill me on my thesis by the way if you want yeah, I mean, I think you you hit it all, and like, I mean, I think you have a great thesis. We'll see how it plays out uh, going forward. I think the only thing probably holding it back personally is again the valuation, but that's been a theme of today. And who knows, maybe it gets a bit more of a pullback, and it's a great spot to start a position the next uh, few weeks or months. Yeah, exactly. Like if you're a momentum trader, you'd think I'd be out of my mind recommending it right now because it's I think it's down like thirty percent from the high. But that's exactly why I'm talking about it more right now is because it's down 30% from that, right? Yeah, and people know that we're not momentum traders, so we invest because we want to hold these businesses for a long time. So, um, yeah, you have to look at the long term and make sure there's a, there's a great story behind it and great story going forward. Exactly. So if the thesis continues, which I would need to, of course, monitor, which is the fact that Unity and the Unreal Engine, which now my portfolio is exposed to both of them, 
if they continue to be in that kind of duopoly, there's other game engines out there, but they're, it's like talking about Visa and MasterCard. Sure, there's, there's little guys out there trying to get their card in the market, but these are the big players, and I think that they're going to see lots of interesting things happen uh, with their businesses over the next 10, 20 years, and I'm, I'm happy to be a part of it. Do we need to talk about anything else? We could be depo- we could be uh, sending out this episode, and stocks have rallied in a major way, and we look like absolute goofballs. But I mean, not really. I think we remind people that it was on February twenty fifth, and I feel I feel like we if we go on for too long, we'll probably rambling a little bit after recording, what an hour and and then some of uh, of recording. So it's probably probably best to end it soon. <laughs> This is Simon telling me to shut the hell up. And I back it. I mean, you know what happens when I go on these deep dives? Like, you just hear my voice for 25 minutes. All right, that does it for this week, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Give us a five-star. We appreciate it. It helps the the pod grow. And if you haven't gone gone on to Stratosphere yet, which you can go on getstockmarket.com, you can do that. I publish these deep dives to subscribers, gets it right in your inbox, things I'm looking at, things I'm going long on, and uh, yeah, you might enjoy it. We'll see you guys next week. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simone may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions.